Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, beginning a brand new broadcast week. So glad to have you with me on this Monday. And uh, today we're going to talk about the subject from the book of Hosea, and I'm going to ask you a question. How will God take me back? You think about how bad you can be and how good you can be, and it seems like the same person can be really good, and then at the same token be really, really bad. Uh, Well, somebody said this, and here's a good dad joke to get us started. What can you make with a lot of forbidden fruits? What can you make with a lot of forbidden fruits? Uh, Well, the answer is many jams. Uh, Well, uh, the nation of Israel finds themselves in a jam uh, once again because they were experiencing a lot of forbidden fruits. They were tasting a lot of forbidden fruits. And so the question is, would God take them back? So we're going to look at Hosea 1, 2, and 3 over the next couple of days. And uh, Hosea is a minor prophet. Now, when I say he's a minor prophet, uh, don't think like the major leagues and the minor leagues uh, that Hosea was practicing and, and hoping that he'd be good enough to make it to the major prophets. No, it's a major message when they talk about minor prophets. There's 12 of them in the Old Testament. That's because their message was shorter. Uh, it wasn't less important or less profound. It was shorter. And the minor prophets, they had a tough time. Oftentimes, they would be speaking, and their message would be rejected. Two of the prophets that I love dearly, I'm so glad that I haven't been called uh, to be either one of these prophets, are Hosea and Jeremiah. And these two prophets both had to not only hear a message from God, not only teach the message to the people, but they had to act out the message of God. And so as they acted out the message of God, sometimes God asked them to do some really bizarre things. So as we look at the book of Hosea, I want you to know that this is not a good book to read uh, for uh, marriage advice, right? As a matter of fact, I did have many years ago a man that came to me and, uh, and his fiance, and they asked me to do their wedding ceremony and their pre-marriage counseling. And, and in the midst of their, uh, their pre-marriage counseling, I found uh, that this particular woman was, um, uh, I guess, shall we say, a woman of ill repute. And uh, she lived a different lifestyle, and she was going to get married. And, and uh, I had some reservations. I said, I don't think this is really a good idea. Uh, I think that this is a recipe for disaster. And, uh, and I says, uh, is she going to be changing her career or her lifestyle? And the husband-to-be chimed in. Uh, she didn't say a whole lot, but he said, well, uh, you know, Hosea married a woman uh, that became a prostitute. Uh, so in his mind, uh, because there is a biblical example of this happening, it was okay for him. Well, I want you to know, Hosea is not designed to give us good marriage advice. When I look at the book of Hosea, Hosea was very pro-Israel, but he was also very political. I mean, what he said was going against uh, the political structure of that day. When I think about the minor prophets, they often would take a stand against oppression. They would often condemn those in leadership positions, those people that were following the, the wrong way. Uh, So, as we look at what is happening while Hosea is prophesying, let me give you a little bit of background before we go too far. By the time that Hosea is on the scene, the nation of Israel is divided. There is the northern kingdom, and there is the southern kingdom. 
The northern kingdom is Israel, and it has the 10 northern tribes. Now, uh, when we looked at uh, going into the promised land, when Moses uh, led the people up to the brink of the promised land, right up to the border, and then Joshua was given the task of going into the promised land and dividing up the land, and they were going to divide up the land amongst the 12 tribes. So when they entered into the promised land, under the leadership of Joshua, uh, there were 12 tribes. But it didn't take them too long to be looking around and, and seeing how the rest of the world lived. And, and they saw that the rest of the world all, for the most part, had kings. And they said, you know what, um, we kind of like the way they are governing, and uh, we'd like to have a king. Well, with much reluctance, the Lord gave into that desire to have a king. And I want you to know that sometimes you pray for something, and it's not God's perfect will for you. And because you're so persistent, sometimes he gives us what we want, even though it's not in our best interest. Well, that's what happened with the nation of Israel. God gave them a king. And he says, I'm going to give you King Saul. And King Saul was a, a pretty good king at first, and, and he ruled with strength and vigor. And the Bible says that he was head and shoulders above any other man. Uh, so he was a man's man. Uh, he's the kind of guy that you would expect to be a king. Uh, he was incredible. He was strong. Uh, he brought the nation together, uh, did a whole lot of good things, but um, somewhere along the line, he got off track. And some say he got off track because he began to be very jealous of a guy by the name of David. You see, God instructed Saul through the prophet Samuel that his son was not going to be the king and that the kingdom is going to, get, going to be taken from Saul and David was going to be the next king. And David was a pretty good king. David was the runt, I guess you could say, uh, his dad, Jesse, and, uh, and his brothers, and, and he was the youngest of the brothers. And, and yet God looked at David and, and wanted him to be king because David was a man after God's own heart. And David did a pretty good job leading, and, and David really did a, an amazing job at bringing the tribes together. David, unfortunately, ran into some problems that we're going to talk about uh, later on, probably in tomorrow's broadcast, of what happened with David and his kingship, and under his leadership, uh, why Hosea is dealing with some of the things that he has to deal with. Toward the end of David's reign, the kingdom was going to be divided, said God. Uh, well, it wouldn't happen under the reign of David. It was going to happen in future generations, because some of the things that David did, God was not well pleased with. Well, after David, there was Solomon. Now, Solomon was a young leader. He felt totally inept to lead the people of God. It appears that Solomon was really a great king at first. He was humble, and he began leading with the heart of God. And, and, uh, and God looked at his heart and said, man, I really like you, Solomon. Uh, as a matter of fact, Solomon, uh, I've got a lot of confidence in you. And so, Solomon... Uh, you can ask for anything that you wish, and I'll fulfill that wish. So Solomon thought about it, and he realized that he felt like a child leading the nation. And he says, I tell you what I would like, Lord. I really need some wisdom. I really need discernment on leading your people. I feel like I'm in over my head. Uh, I could really use some wisdom. And so God said to Solomon, you know, you could have asked for wealth or, or power or prestige, uh, but you didn't ask for that. 
And because you have asked for wisdom to lead with discernment, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, I'm going to bless you abundantly with wealth and prosperity. And so Solomon not only was the wisest man that walked the face of the earth outside of Jesus, but he was probably one of the wealthiest persons to ever be alive. Solomon did a lot of building. Uh, he built the temple. And you remember David had, um, he had put together the plans for the temple and he even raised the resources needed for the temple. But God said, you know, David, um, you're a man of war. And because of that, I really can't have you building the temple. So David's responsibility was basically fighting off the enemies of God. He was a man of war. And I did very good at uh, leading the nation to gain much of the promised land. And David was a brilliant military leader. And that was his job, to bring peace to the nation. And he he did a good job at that. And, And Solomon's job was to advance the kingdom. Now that it was at peace, but the Bible tells us, and at the end of David's reign, that God was going to cause the 12 tribes, the whole kingdom, to, to be divided because of David's sin with Bathsheba. And now we're going to get to that at the end of tomorrow's broadcast. So please join me tomorrow as we get that rest of the story of what David did causing the kingdom to be divided. So we had Saul, we had David, that we had Solomon. And then we had Rehoboam, Rehoboam 1 and Rehoboam 2. Rehoboam 1 had a short tenure, and Rehoboam 2 took over, and he was a wise leader to a degree, uh, and he realized that he he needed to tap into the wisdom of others. And uh, and so uh, some of the older leaders told Rehoboam II he should relax his grip in dealing with the nation. Uh, His father was very strong-handed, and his father ruled uh, with an iron fist. So the older men suggested uh, that that he ease up a little bit, that Rehoboam uh, not be so harsh with the people. Just be kind. The people's hearts will be won over. They will love you, and they will support you, and they will follow you. But then there was another group of people that, that was in Rehoboam's council, and these were the younger men. The younger men said, um, uh, Rehoboam, you need to take control here. You need to, uh, to lead these people harshly. And so uh, the younger men said uh, to lead harshly. And then Rehoboam said that his thumb would be like his father's thigh. And he said, my father left you with a whip, and uh, I'm going to leave you with a whip of scorpions. Well, under Rehoboam, uh, the kingdom splits, Rehoboam II. Uh, many people uh, were rallying around another leader at this time, a leader by the name of Jeroboam. So we have Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and they rally around Jeroboam, and Jeroboam takes the northern kingdom, and Rehoboam takes the southern kingdom. Now, Jeroboam didn't want the people going to Jerusalem to worship. So he decided that he would replace the center of worship for the northern kingdom would be in Bethel and Dan. Now, not only did he change the location of where they were going to worship, but he also set a golden altar right in the center of the place of worship. And on top of that golden altar, he began to introduce bell worshiping. 
Now, he did it with the mindset of we can worship Jehovah God and Baal. Uh, So it was a Jewish worship combined with a pagan worship. Uh, He made up kind of his own religion. Well, God was going to punish them with the view of wanting to win back their hearts, with the view that God wanted them to experience some difficulties so that it would drive them back to him. And as we think about uh, what Hosea is doing, uh, Hosea, along with Micah and Isaiah, who were preaching to the southern kingdom, Hosea was preaching to the northern kingdom. Now, Hosea's preaching was just a little bit different message. Uh, His teaching pattern, as I've mentioned, follows the pattern of Jeremiah because he is a prophet of a broken heart who hears from God and not only teaches the lesson from God, not only prophesies on behalf of God, but he actually lives out the message of what God wants his people to know. So as we look at where the nation is under the ministry of Hosea, you know, the family is the building block of any nation. As goes the family, goes the nation. The nation of Israel was falling apart. The family was broken. And so Hosea is given an unbelievable task. He is told to prophesy to the people, and he's told to do it by acting out the message to the people. So there's kind of three things that we want to cover. We want to cover, number one, the pain of unfaithfulness. Now, everyone listening to me has probably from time to time experienced a friendship with someone or maybe even a relationship in marriage where a spouse or a friend was unfaithful. And you know the hurt that that has caused, the deep pain when you have loved somebody dearly and they are unfaithful. So we're going to talk first of all about the pain of unfaithfulness, and then secondly, we're going to talk about the product of unfaithfulness. That's going to be chapter number two. What does unfaithfulness produce? There's always a product when we are unfaithful. There's always the cause and effect when it comes to unfaithfulness. And so we'll talk about the cycle of unfaithfulness. And then thirdly, I will finish up the broadcast tomorrow with the power of reconciliation. That's Hosea chapter 3. Hosea 1, we're going to talk about the pain of unfaithfulness. Hosea 2, the product of unfaithfulness. And then Hosea 3, chapter 3, the power of reconciliation. So it's going to end well. It's going to be rough over the rest of the broadcast today because we're discovering that God is telling Hosea to do something that goes against conventional wisdom. Let's pick it up in Hosea 1, verse number 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord, departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblion, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, I can't imagine the pressure and the stress that Hosea is experiencing. God speaks to Hosea, 
and says, I want you to go marry somebody who is going to be promiscuous. Now, uh, we don't know if she was promiscuous prior to Hosea getting married. Definitely as a result of their marriage, she lives an adulterous lifestyle. And so Hosea is to act this out because the land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Hosea is saying, this is how Israel is. Israel is the apple of my eye. I have betrothed myself to them. I have been faithful to them, but they have been very adulterous and unfaithful to me. And the best way to understand the depths of this pain is to explain the pain of unfaithfulness in a marriage. So Hosea has got mounds of pressure on him. This guy by the name of Thomas Holmes, he came up with this way of measuring stress and the effect that stress has on us. And so he gave different units for different kinds of stress. For example, if you have the death of a spouse, that would be 100 life change stress units. If you experience a divorce, that would be 73 life change stress units. If you're expecting a baby, that would be 40 stress units. If you're remodeling your house, especially if you're living in your house while you're remodeling it, that would be 25 stress units. Oh, and the holidays, right? Uh, Christmas is right around the corner. Christmas is 12 stress units. And so the reasoning goes like this. Any human that adds up the stress that they incur in one year, if it adds up to 300 or more units in any given year, you're in trouble. And you could very likely experience a nervous breakdown or some kind of emotional breakdown. And you can only handle so much stress on your life. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to experience that, but if you have more than 300 units in any given 12-month cycle, you are very vulnerable to be collapsing under the pressure if you don't manage that stress. So Hosea has got an unbelievable load of stress upon him. There's pain in unfaithfulness, but God had a plan for that pain, and that was punishment. The plan for unfaithfulness was God's going to bring about punishment. Now, I know we don't like to talk about this, right? But sometimes there are consequences for our actions. Paul wrote to the Hebrew believers, whom the Lord loves, he chastens or he punishes. Let's look at verse number four, going back to the book of Hosea. Then the Lord said to Hosea, okay, they're going to have a baby. They got together. They're going to have a baby. She conceived and she bore a son. Gomer bore a son. And by the way, that's not Gomer Pyle, okay? So don't think we're talking about Gomer Pyle. I'm talking about a woman named Gomer, the daughter of Diblion. She conceived and bore a son. The Lord said, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. So here we discover that the firstborn son was going to be called Jezreel. Now, if your Bible has cross-reference notes in them, as mine does, 
You can find out what this uh, story is all about, the story of Jezreel. It will cross-reference you to a passage in 1 Kings. And as you look at that passage, it appears that Jehu did what the Lord asked him to do in this massacre at Jezreel. Now, the problem isn't that he didn't obey the letter of the law. The problem is, is the way that he carried it about. After this particular massacre, Jehu got all full of himself, and he began to be prideful, and he began to say to all of his enemies, I remember Jezreel, uh, just as I wiped them off the map, I'll do the same to you. This success went to his head. And as a result, God says, you know what, I'm going to bring punishment upon Jezreel because of the house of Jehu. So here we see Israel is going to be suffering for their unfaithfulness. There's something else that we see in the pain of unfaithfulness. We not only see the plan for the pain to bring about punishment, but there's also a purpose for the pain. And that purpose is to purge them from that sin, to break off that desire, to break off that love for that sin. Let's drop down to verse number six. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved. Now, that little phrase, Elo, Lo, right before Ruhamah, means not. So, she is not going to be loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet, I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. So here we discover that Hosea is definitely involved uh, with a wife who has been unfaithful to him, and God says, okay, enough is enough. This relationship is over. At this stage of the game, Gomar is probably leaving Hosea, uh, and she's probably going to team up with other men, and it appears that the marriage is over. And so Hosea can no longer show his love to his wife Gomar because she's gone. God is saying, I can no longer show love to Israel. I'd like to forgive them, but they've departed from me. So I can't love them anymore because they're no longer here. They have been purged from my presence. That's where Hosea is. He now is at the point where he knows that his wife has been unfaithful. Now she has abandoned him for other lovers, and he doesn't even know where she is. So that was the purpose of the pain, to break off this relationship. But we see there's a third component in the pain of unfaithfulness. There's a plan for the pain. That is, there's going to be punishment. God's going to bring about punishment upon his people who are not following his will. There's going to be a purpose for that pain. It's going to separate them. They're going to be purged. But there's one other thing we look at. There is the promise of the pain. And this may sound out of place, but God is going to bring about prosperity. After she had weaned Lo Ruhamah, Gomar had another son. The Lord said, call him Lo Am I, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. 
Yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. So here we discover that God has made a promise. In spite of Israel's unfaithfulness and in spite of our unfaithfulness, I want you to know that you, are, if you're born again, you are secure in the hands of Christ. He will woo you back. He's made a promise to never leave you nor forsake you. And he made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be greater than the, the sand of the sea that cannot be counted. And God was going to come through. God was going to bring prosperity to his people. Well, we are out of time. And I want to pray for you today. So Lord, enlighten our hearts and our eyes to the message of Hosea as we continue on this message tomorrow. May we be guided by your spirit. May our eyes be open to the truth of who you are. Thank you for this wonderful lesson that we've learned today. Be with us as we drive home and uh, as we visit with our families. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.